Welcome to the Littler Labor and Employment Podcast, conversations about employment and labor law issues that impact the workplace. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, everyone listening. Welcome back to yet another episode of Candid COVID Conversations. We've taken a little bit of a break here. It feels like it's been almost a vacation while the virus, I thought at least, was starting to retreat. But in the last explosion in the last few weeks and a renewed interest from clients in, in dealing with the next phase, we thought it might be good to get this out and talk a little bit about what employers can and should be doing now. As a reminder, I am Kimberly Dowd, the office managing shareholder of Littler Mendelssohn's Orlando office. And I'm here with Nancy Johnson, another attorney in Littler's Orlando office, who you just heard from. Littler is the world's largest management side law firm focused exclusively on labor and employment litigation assistance and advice. Nancy and I have been busy keeping current on new laws, directives, and mandates related to COVID-19, and keeping our fingers on the pulse of employment matters in these COVID times. That's right. And in addition to that, we've been dealing with all the lawsuits that have come in related to COVID, right? (laughs) Yes, that's right. As I mentioned at the beginning, we thought this was a good time to get back together to talk about some of the things that you can do to prevent those lawsuits. With the recent trends and, you know, we thought that it might be good to talk through some of the issues that we're getting through questions from clients and some of the things that Florida employers have been talking about lately. Since we were last together, Florida's state of emergency officially ended. 57.8% of Florida's population is at least partially vaccinated and many employees have returned to the office in some fashion. We saw the passage of Senate Bill 2006, a somewhat confusing new law prohibiting certain businesses and government entities from requiring customers to show a vaccine passport to get services. And we all worked through how that law affected the employment relationship. Surprise, it didn't. And we've waded through questions about implementing various vaccination strategies. Nancy, what can you tell our listeners about the current variant? Well, as I think most people on this podcast will know, there's this new Delta variant. It's become the dominant strain now in the U.S. Approximately 80% of new cases are of the Delta strain. This is obviously a strain of interest. It's much more contagious than the Alpha strain. And there's a lot of new information coming out daily and almost by the minute about how differently it's acting from what we started to actually know how COVID would act. Now, surprise, things are changing again. So for example, very recently, information was released that the six foot 15 minute close proximity rule that we've all become accustomed to, you know, that you should not, if you're within the close proximity within six feet for 15 minutes or more of somebody who has tested positive, that you should then go get tested. That rule may not be the same for the Delta variant because it's far more transmissible than that original Alpha variant. We do expect more to come on that. The CDC has kind of said it may be that even just passing somebody in an elevator may be enough if they were positive for you to have to go get tested. True. And since we were last together, the CDC drastically changed its guidance on masking social distancing, and quarantining or being excluded from the workplace, particularly for those who are vaccinated. For example, in May, the CDC had recommended vaccinated individuals need not wear masks inside. Recently, the CDC changed its stance in that regard. The CDC now recommends fully vaccinated individuals wear masks indoors, in public, and those areas of the U.S. that have substantial or high COVID-19 transmission rates, and also for those who are exposed, 
they should wear masks until the earlier of 14 days or a negative test taken three to five days after exposure to known or expected COVID. That's right, Kimberly. And even more recently, you know, we've all started hearing stories of breakthrough cases. In fact, as we were preparing for this, the CDC released another new study showing that that Delta variant produced similar amounts of virus in vaccinated and unvaccinated people if there's infection. This study was apparently a key motivator to the changes in the CDC guidance that came out on the 27th of July. And while some of this may seem like a step or a giant leap backwards, it accounts for the new reality, the new science, and the ability to confirm some scientific theories not yet confirmed earlier in the pandemic. Nancy, can you drill a bit deeper here? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to be clear, a lot of employers are are not taking that step backwards. They're not going back to remote workplaces. We've heard mostly that employers want to stay in the workplace, but that new CDC guidance that dropped on July 27th, the, the main aspects of it, in addition to what Kimberly already mentioned, you know, vaccinated individuals who have a known exposure now are, are suggested to get a test within the three to five days of exposure. So in addition to that, they also made the change um, revising the guidance recommending fully vaccinated individuals to resume wearing masks indoors if you are in a geographic area that has substantial or high COVID-19 transmission rates. Surprise, every county in Florida is in that right now and, and probably will be for quite a while. Another change is that the CDC now notes that breakthrough infections happen only to a small proportion of individuals, but also notes and wants everybody to be fully aware that fully vaccinated individuals can spread it to others. That's not new, but it's been highlighted again by the CDC. Last, the CDC is now also recommending that fully vaccinated individuals get tested if they're experiencing symptoms and isolate if tested positive or experiencing symptoms. That never really changed, but again, it's being re-emphasized by the CDC with this new uptick in cases, hospitalizations, and even deaths. Notably, although not directly connected to employment policies, the CDC now recommends universal indoor masking for all people in K through 12 schools, regardless of vaccination status. Yeah, and Kimberly, that's really interesting, especially since schools, at least in around here, start in about a week and a half. And that's inevitably going to set up a showdown with Governor DeSantis, who just announced that he's going to issue an emergency, or I'm sorry, an executive order, essentially saying that, you know what, it's okay if you ignore those school districts that impose mandatory masking in accordance with what the CDC just recommended. So obviously more to come on that. Cue the Wild West theme music and tumbleweeds. We will definitely keep our eyes on that. But for today, we thought it would be helpful to have a little Q&A to hit some questions you may have. Nancy, shall I fire away? Let's go for it. I'm all ready. All right. First, a softball. Given the new laws in Florida, can employers impose any masking or social distancing or other mandates based on safety concerns in the workplace? That is an easy one. I think I can handle that. So the answer is yes. And it's not a lawyer's answer of it depends. Um, (laughs) Florida employers can impose social masking, distancing, other mandates. There was, as you mentioned earlier, that Senate Bill 2000 six, which confused people, understandably, the way that the news portrayed it, seemed to indicate that, you know, you can't have any more mask mandates. That's true, technically, for government entities while the state of emergency is going on. Note that there is no state of emergency in Florida, excuse me, except in Orange (laughs) County. But 
employers have always been able to impose masking, social distancing, other mandates, anything based on safety concerns in the workplace that the employer feels is appropriate and responsible. Okay, let's talk about vaccines a little bit. Florida's new law addressed vaccine passports and the public, but did not restrict employers from asking employees for vaccine proof. What's the latest on this? That's right. So that's sort of that law that I was just talking about that had that prohibition of asking any member of the public or customer from providing proof of vaccines in order to enter the the store or to obtain services from a company, right? And we made that clear in one of our earlier podcasts, but just to clarify again and confirm, because it, it has been talked about in the news, I've heard it mentioned in a very sort of shorthand that makes it seem like employers cannot make these restrictions. Employers can absolutely ask their employees to disclose their vaccination status, and employers still can actually mandate vaccines. There, there has really been no change on that. It's just reemphasizing that, that that is the way the EEOC, I think probably since our last podcast even, came out and reemphasized that again. They reconfirmed, yes, you can mandate vaccines. And, and in fact, the Supreme Court came down and confirmed that too. Right. The federal government is now starting to require many of its employees to provide either proof of vaccination or testing every two to three days. Is that something employers can do in Florida? Yeah, and that's an interesting thought. It is something that employers can do. I have actually talked to several clients, and, and that's something that people are starting to think about. The biggest concern is it's sort of like we're, they, the employers feel like, hey, we're going backwards. We didn't used to do this. We didn't used to even encourage vaccines, or we just encouraged it, but we didn't do anything. So can we now go there? Yes, you can go there. And, and in fact, obviously, the federal government and the CDC think that that's a good idea. So, you know, the the way that that a lot of people, a lot of companies have been looking at this is, look, you can voluntarily self-disclose, yes, I've been vaccinated. That way you get the benefit of the employer knows you're you're vaccinated, they know how to treat you, they know that that you might be okay not wearing a mask in certain circumstances. If you don't want to disclose, regardless of whether or not you're vaccinated, that's fine. We're just going to assume that you're not vaccinated. That way you have a different set of rules. And that's okay because vaccination status is not a protected characteristic. So in an at-will state like Florida, an employer can make that distinction as long as it's not based on a protected characteristic. Vaccination status is not one. So if you're either presumed to be unvaccinated or you are actually unvaccinated for whatever reason, then you might have to wear a mask at all times, or you might have to socially distance at all times, or you may not be able to come to certain meetings in certain rooms that are too small to allow for social distancing, things like that. Now, the added part to this new kind of wrinkle that the federal government has put into it is if you want to go in that category of not disclosing, then you also additionally have to get tested every two to three days if you want to come into the office. Otherwise, we're going to exclude you. And whether or not we can continue to employ you depends on the job. Okay. Well, let's talk about some specifics um, and some specific examples. And you touched a little bit on this next question in your answer. Can companies only allow vaccinated individuals to attend meetings in certain meeting spaces and exclude those who are either unvaccinated or refuse to disclose their vaccination status? Yep. So you're right. I did kind of start going down that road. And, And yes, that is a possible scenario. And it's actually one that, you know, might make sense depending on the the physical space that employers have available. So particularly 
if, as we expect, the guidance might change again as far as social distancing, you may not be able to stay in, in the same room, like a, a space that can, you know, you can only stay 10 feet apart, or if, even if it's six feet apart, if you're not vaccinated, you may need to stay a lot further apart to be safe and to keep your workers safe. So the one caveat I will say with that, though, because there may be individuals who cannot be vaccinated, that small percentage of people who cannot be vaccinated due to some medical condition that would require them not to be able to be vaccinated. You, If they fall within that, if your employees fall within that small percentage, you do have to consider allowing them an accommodation to still attend the meeting. You cannot just exclude them from, from those meetings and then that any meeting or something that may allow them to move forward with their jobs, you have to consider whether or not an accommodation is available. So you might, for example, have to let them phone into the meeting or participate by telephone. Um, and and yep, that may also apply not just to medical conditions, but sincerely held religious beliefs as well, right? That's right. That's right. It'd be the same thing because there's still a duty to accommodate. What about imposing different rules for different workspaces? For example, can an employer require all employees who work in a warehouse to be vaccinated, but have a different rule for those employees who work at headquarters? Yeah, that's an interesting question and one that I've I've heard also. And and again, the answer is yes. I, I don't feel like I'm a true lawyer because I'm giving you I know yes. Where are the it depends <laughs> answers. <laughs> I have heard this, and it's interesting. I mean, you would you would think that typically an employer would make these decisions based on some needs. So for example, you know, if, if you've got some people working on an assembly line in a warehouse, you might want to have everybody within that space vaccinated versus if they're sitting in an office and everybody has their own closed door offices. So if you've got both of those facilities running, it might make sense. You know, if you're visiting the office, you might be able to come in unvaccinated but still wearing masks and be just as safe. But if you go into that warehouse where everybody must be on top of each other to do their job and everything, it may be a different set of rules might be appropriate. Well, I'm sure our listeners appreciate the straightforward answers and you not equivocating, giving the it depends, but giving the yes or no answer. So (laughs) any tips on how a company can, in practical terms, credibly change its position now if it relaxed its standards in the last three or four months? So I guess I'll, I'll take your cue and say, well, yeah, it depends. <laughs> I think in I think in this case, it really does depend on the company. So th- this is more of a question of how do I help me because I'm getting some pushback from my employees, right? And and employers are, and it depends on where you are in, in the country, what type of workers you have, what type of employees you have. There are a lot that I'm hearing, you know what? I'm now getting more nervous because of this Delta variant, because of the upticks, the substantial upticks in in the cases and the deaths and the hospitalizations, et cetera. But my employees are all relaxed and and they're going to start thinking that we're, you know, going back and forth and they're they're not going to like that. We're just going to get a lot of pushback. So how do we help? One piece of advice that I've seen some employers take is there's a lot of new science out there. Like we mentioned, there are a lot of new facts that can be distributed to employees to explain why these steps are being taken. There's a lot of new stuff known. I mean, think about it. We've now lived with a COVID strain for 18 months. We're learning more just about that because it's been around a little longer. Now we, we're learning more about the long-term effects and, and how those might still continue on and, and why safety is even more important. But, but there are things out there now designed to explain to employees, explain in certain settings, like, look, it's different now. <laughs> things are shifting. And, and that's, that's probably the best way to get employees 
if they're going to be, you know, if they're going to be able to hop on board because you want everybody engaged still, right? Absolutely. What about leave under the Family Medical Leave Act and short-term disability? When someone's being excluded from the workplace, do employers have to pay them? Do they have to offer FMLA leave? What are, what are the options here? Yeah, so nothing has really changed on that front, particularly in Florida, but even on the federal front in terms of mandatory pay. That's that's kind of the main thing, right? As far as mandatory pay, there is no mandate that you have to pay for, for those things. Now, FMLA, again, you know, as as most of the employers listening to this, and, and it gets pretty nuanced, but you know, you have to have a serious health condition to qualify. So my recommendation is to give individuals who are excluded from the workplace who cannot, you know, attend work, maybe because they've been exposed and they're, they're going out to just exclude themselves or whatever, give them the FMLA paperwork, maybe or maybe not, they'll, they'll actually qualify, you know, and obviously there's, there's those initial qualifications that they've been working there long enough. Did they work enough hours last year? That's one thing. But the other part is, are the symptoms enough? So, you know, there's some technical rules. It's like three, if they're out from three or more calendar days, plus certain number of visits to a healthcare provider or out three or more calendar days, plus a continuing course of treatment, those types of things. And it's going to depend on each individual situation. The best advice here is give them the FMLA paperwork, let them return, make that individualized assessment. Same thing for whether or not it's sort of an accommodation. Now the, the test is different. A disability is different than a serious health condition. All those things are nuanced. You know, if em- employers have specific questions, obviously they can ask us, but those, those kind of would fall under the typical ADA FMLA short-term disability, short-term disability, remember you as an employer, you don't even make that decision. That's up to the insurance company. So there's no reason not to say, Hey, here's the, here's the application. If you feel like you qualify, go for it and apply. There are certain circumstances, obviously COVID X differently for everybody. So best thing is, is allow them to apply and then make that individualized assessment. Well, we could probably talk about this for a lot longer. We've given the listeners a lot of new information to think about. We certainly hope this episode has been helpful. And on the way out, we just wanted to remind you, our listeners, that you can reach us either via email at kdowd, D-O-U-D, at littler, L-I-T-T-L-E-R.com, or N-A-Johnson at littler.com. And we're happy to try and answer any follow-up questions or additional questions on this or any other COVID-related topics. Well, thanks for listening. We're going to continue to bring our candid analysis your way and help everyone keep moving forward. And remember, it's a new day in America. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.